Yeah, just run away. Uh, uh, a little more time because we're not, you know, it's not Sunday morning, so it's not quite the same uh, time restrictions. And we'll see uh, where the Lord takes us on, on this because uh, digging into a book is a whole kind of different thing. And you get it all in, in a week, so in a few days. So the ideas from chapter to chapter, verse to verse, all of that will be fresher. That, that part of it will be kind of cool. We are streaming this, and so I'm back up here where, you know, I hang out. Otherwise, we'll probably do it differently, but since we're, we're going to send it out, that's why David's back there, making sure it happens. So we are uh, going to look at First John 1, and we'll do each chapter... Uh, as we go through the week, we'll do chapter five on Sunday. But John is is uh, writing this at the end of the first century, so we're going to you know take a look at him, look at the book, look at the uh, context and the culture, and how all of that is all that fits together. So if you have your uh, your Bible around, it'll, it'll help. We we will look at some other passages early on in this thing so we'll you'll have time enough to make some notes and i've got them uh, available on the on the screens let's pray and go to the lord with this father thank you for what you have done in and through jesus lord the uh, changes that have made the uh, battles that have been fought thank you for allowing us to be part of your family thank you for your for the scriptures uh, that you have kept them for us and that we can look into these pages and find out about you and find out about how to live and what's what's going on what's coming all of it thank you for uh, being with us tonight and uh, and i pray that you would just open our hearts to you and your word in jesus name amen so you are not alone in the universe, and the universe is not alone either. There's heaven, much bigger, extends way out there. We have a God who has no beginning and has no end. He, he has uh, no end to the supply, no end to his abilities, no end to his knowledge. He, he has all all of that immensity in, in just who he is. He has chosen to create and to create beings. So he's created divine beings, and those divine beings have been in the heavens with him. We don't know how long. We don't know how many. We don't know how many other things exist out there because he hasn't told us. We know that we are here, that he is, that the heavens exist, and that at some point, he decided, you know what, I like these, uh, the divine creatures, but I want to create a physical world and, and then come up with these human beings. So mortal beings that were going to be on this planet, he designed just for us and then said, y'all take care of it. And then a rebel shows up who said, you know what, I, I, I'm a little jealous of all of this. I think I'm going to throw a monkey wrench in the whole deal, and we are living with the results. So we've got rebellious beings in, in, this, uh, in this story that, that we are living in, and they are opposed to God. They are opposed to us. They are interested in tearing us down and, and ripping us apart. So there's this, this whole thing that is, that is happening, and um, we are... Coming into uh, coming into like First John, we are coming to a place where we are seeing how someone who walked with Jesus has uh, uh, had to deal with the enemy, the spiritual enemy, 
and then help other people overcome the things that would drag them down and find their way into walking with God and living rightly in this world. So our spiritual life with Christ is not limited to being uh, good little boys and girls, but it's interacting with divine beings, some loyal to God, some who are out to do us harm, and all of that is is going on all at the same time. There is, you kind of get an, that image there on the screen, A uh, and maybe this will help you uh, picture what's going on, a portal that opens the door that goes into heaven and that heaven has a way of communicating and sending help. So we've got this access that that's interdimensional. So you can move through that faster than the speed of light, move across, because how do we get to the end of the universe to get to heaven? That's not how you get there because it's a portal that goes to another dimension. And those, those uh, beings, the divine beings, have access and can come this direction as well. So it's, it's both uh, going back and forth. So you'll notice in that, that you may know logo, there's an omega in the place of a regular O because that omega is also representing Christ, Alpha and the omega, but is also the portal. So when you look at the portal, you can kind of see that that's the shape that exists. So what what is it that we can know? We can know we can have a relationship with God. That there is something else going on out there. That there's a way that we are supposed to live that is different than the way we would normally live, or the way that people live within in the world. So we are um, privileged to be. On, on this journey with with the Lord, but there's access to him, and he wants access to us. Let me tell you, this, this is, and, and picture the door. So you imagine the portal, and there's a way of getting in and out, and, and Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. That take you to Revelation 3.20. He says, if anybody hears and opens the door, I will come in, and I will dine with him, which means I will have fellowship. I will have, uh, there will be a closeness that we will sit down and actually talk about things that matter. Guess what that is? Here's the son of God saying, I'm available and I can come from heaven and I'll knock. And if you open that door, we can have a close relationship. Well, John Hung out with Jesus. He's the youngest of the disciples. He, at this point, is writing at the end of the first century. So he's the surviving disciple. The rest of them have died. They have been martyred. And they have Their lives have come to an end. He has been... The Romans have tried to end him. It just hasn't worked. Uh, they put him on the island of Patmos just to get him out of away from everybody. At the time he's writing First John, he's probably serving the church in Ephesus because he went there after Paul. So this is later. He remember he also took care of Mary, Jesus' mom. So that was his job. So we we're talking about this on Sunday, and I think this is uh, something to consider. So he's the youngest guy, and he lives the longest. So Jesus knew I better not give him the Peter or. You know, mom doesn't, you know, this, I got a better chance with John. He's going to make it. So we'll, we'll go with John. And he loved Jesus. And he says he's the one, you know, the disciple Jesus loved. So here's this, this close relationship. And we are picking up in, in this letter. He's written it to the, to the churches. So it's a general letter. We are picking up years of experience. He has been with the Son of God, on earth, in his human body. He's been with Mary. He took care of Mary. We're, we're, we're talking a guy who's been intimately involved with this, and, and God has worked in his life and, in powerful ways, and he's helped the church develop and grow over decades. 
And now around 90 AD, he's an old guy, and he's writing this. And you'll notice when you read through 1 John that he uses things like little children. He uses these phrases because he's, he's the old guy. And he just sees the people in the church as all these, it's all the kids. And just trying to help everybody learn about how to relate to God and, and, and some things to avoid. And so he's giving some heads up in, in some areas. And uh, he's also coming at this with a background in Hebrew history, the, the history of Israel, the, the things that we read in the scriptures. He's, he's familiar with. They, they didn't have a New Testament. So he didn't have that to work with. He has the Old Testament, which was what they referred to as the, the scriptures. So in order to make sense of some of the things John says, we're going to take a little journey back. So that's where we're going to go. And we'll start with uh, Abraham and visitations. And we'll go backwards. We're going to start with this uh, Genesis 12, the first thing we hear, Abraham shows up at the end of chapter 11, but 12 is when he gets called and says, you know, God speaks to him and says, leave your country, leave where you are now, leave your family, and uh, go to the land that I will show you. So he's sent on this journey, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you and treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram did what he said. He took off, takes uh, his wife. He's 75 years old when he, when he leaves. And he, he uh, takes his nephew Lot with him, heads out, and uh, gets all the way to, let's see what this one is. Uh, the oak of Marah, and, and that's at that point the Lord says, this is the land, and I'm going to give it to you and to all your descendants. And Abram built an altar there, dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. So that's Genesis 12, 1 through 7. So the Lord speaks to him, and then we're told the Lord appeared to him. So it's not just... Uh, an auditory revelation. He he's seen uh, the Lord shown up in in a, in a way that he, he knows this is God. This is this is the one, and he just made a promise, and he just made an altar to worship him. So there's a a reality unfolding there. Then uh, we have another in Genesis 15. So we're just following through on some of Abram's. And Abraham gets his name changed, but Abram at this point. Uh, a little bit later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision. This is in chapter 15. Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. And Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? And Because he's been promised, you know, you're going to be a father of a great nation, and he's going, yeah, how's that going to work? And then he goes, well, you give me Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household. I guess he could be maybe him. And he says, no, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And the Lord took Abram outside and said, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So it's real faith, real believing. He trusts the Lord. He said, you're going to bring this about even though there's no way because I don't even have a son. That is referenced in Romans later. Uh, Galatians will also talk about the faith and, and Hebrews 11 about Abram, Abraham's faith and that he believed God that he, and, and God recognizes, man, he, he gets it. And so here's a relationship. But God has been with him. He takes him out. He's, he's not just hearing information or maybe a feeling or nudging. He is interacting with God himself. And, he, and he's getting these appearances. 
Then we pick that up again in 18, Genesis 18. And this one, the Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. And one day Abraham sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. You kind of get that image up there in the, on the screen. And he, he looked up and he noticed there, these, these guys are out there. He ran out to meet them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And he's going through the normal process of what happens in, in the culture in terms of being a, a hospitable host. And so they do, the three of them. And Abraham runs back, tells Sarah, you know, make the best flour, put, you know, get, get all this stuff ready. And there's this conversation about him having, you know, there's going to be a son, and Sarah's laughing like, we're too old, that's not going to happen. And so there's all that's unfolding. And it's during this time, though, that this, this is, Abraham recognizes this is the Lord that's here, that, that he's, he's meeting with. There are two angels and the Lord. So the presence of the Lord meeting with him, we've already seen that he's met with him before, that he's shown up at other times, that he doesn't just speak. It's not just feelings, but an actual uh, visitation or he moves him from place to place. And it's, that's what's unfolding here as well. And it's a uh, called a Christophany. It's a it's a before Jesus is born in a human body, he appears as a human being, and he does that on different occasions. With in this case Abraham, but he does it with others, and he is revealing himself. So it's uh, he can take on those forms, and and we know that angels can do that as well. And in this case. The Lord is with angels. They've come. They're sitting down. They're having dinner. They can communicate. They're having a conversation. There's interaction that's happening here. All of that. And he, and he tells them, you're going to be a great nation, and and uh, and all that I promise will come about. So all of those things are in those Genesis accounts that you've just seen. We're going to jump all the way to uh, Jesus and Abraham in John 8, 56 which has Jesus encount, being encountered by the, uh, the Pharisees at the temple, and, and they're questioning him and who he is and what he's doing, and they don't like what he's doing. As, you know, you've read the gospel, so you know how that goes. And then he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. And, of course, they're going, how can that be possible? You know, that's like nearly 2,000 years ago. Abraham's been gone a while. And, you know, and you're just a kid by comparison. So this isn't going to work. How is it that the Lord Jesus was hanging out with Abraham and Abraham got it? When did that conversation take place? He saw his day. And Abraham was excited about it. Huh. I think we just covered that. You got to have those encounters, those moments when that happened. So that gives us some early crossover, at least for a spiritual reality uh, of, of the God. Of, and, and this is, uh, if you've read like Unseen Realm, you'll come, you'll come across the second Yahweh, the two Yahweh uh, theology. So Yahweh, God the Father, and God the Son. And in Jewish theology, that was part of the thing even in, in the Old Testament. So they, this is the, uh, the Yahweh that comes to earth. And the Son of God is the one who comes and interacts and, and, and does this kind of meeting with people. So we kind of pick that up. We're going to get the name here because this is part of what what begins to happen uh, in First Samuel three twenty one? The word of God: the Lord continued to appear in Shiloh. This is talking about Samuel, and when he started hearing from you know the Lord shows up. And, and in 
First Samuel 3, you know he keeps hearing, you know, Samuel, Samuel, and he gets up and he goes back. Eli says, well, you know, it's not me. It must be the Lord. Go listen. And he goes back and the Lord appears to him. So it's no longer just hearing his name called out, but the Lord appears to him. And so here it is. The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word. The word, and translated in the uh, Greek, it's going to be the logos. The logos, the word, is not the printed word. It's not the spoken word. It's the word in flesh. So the idea that the word shows up, and there are other places we can we can look at, but the, the word shows up, and the word is the second Yahweh. The word is the pre-incarnate Christ. The word, the word is the promises, the interaction, the person of God interacting with the people on, on earth, the, his people that he's trying to guide or teach or uh, take them close, or bring them closer to himself. The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word. So the Lord keeps showing up, and his word is this person who is available to communicate, to speak to him, to give him direction, and help him. So we're going to jump into John because we have to see where this is taking us. This is in John, the Gospel of John, first part. You're familiar with this. And he starts off, in the beginning was the Word. So, who's the Word? So, when did all that happen? In the beginning. So, since he's always been, there is no beginning for him. There is a beginning for us. But what do we have there? Is it the written Word? Is it because the Bible existed? Didn't. Is it the spoken word that he's talking about? Or is he talking about the person of Christ who creates? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Two Yahwehs. In the beginning with God, all things come into being through him. Wait, that's not a word. That's not a Bible. That's a person. All things come into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. That's where it comes from. The life comes from him. He's the source. Life doesn't just happen because a bunch of chemicals fell into a pond millions of years ago and just, boop. Him. It's in him. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. So that's part of the challenge. The, the, the world doesn't get it. There's uh, evil entities trying to take the world and as many people as they can a different direction away from God. Here is the word, this, this person of God who is God and created. And he's come and he's going to communicate. And that's, that's the logos. And I took you to the Hebrew scriptures rather than tell you that this is from a Greek background because the, uh, the, the challenge is that the, um, the Greeks, the Greek philosophers talked about logos and there was a whole bunch of of uh, philosophical ideas that kind of started up in the second century. So the end of the first century, second century. And so many of the commentaries, and maybe your study Bibles, are going to say this, when it talks about the Logos, in the beginning was the Word, it's going to talk about the Greek philosophies, and that was what John is dealing with. That's, that's what he's talking about, is this concept of this um, principle that was behind all the things that existed, a mental kind of a intellectual power to create all these things. 
well, you, you can read through that, but the thing John's dealing with, and, and he is dealing with the Greek minds, because we're going we're gonna to touch on that too, and then that culture. But he's coming from hanging out with the person of Jesus Christ. He's coming from a Hebrew mindset. He's coming from these Old, Old Testament scriptures. He's coming from, we are now going to be part of the family of Abraham, the family of faith. The Lagos for him is Jesus. That's the word. So it's a different, different take on this thing. Um, he ex- okay, experience the word. Let's see what that one. Look at that. When we look at uh, what John says, he says he heard it. He says we, but we heard it, we saw it, we touched him. When Jesus was here, he was real. He was in the flesh, and we hung out with him. So that's Jesus. That is before the, the resurrection. What happened after the resurrection? He also heard him, saw him, and touched him. They sat down, ate fish together, they hung out, and he got taught some more. What about later? Well, the first part of chapter 1 of Revelation. Heard him, saw him, and then Jesus grabs him, and they take off and go to see God the Father. Huh. He experienced the Word. The Word isn't just something printed on a page. It's not just some concept from Greek philosophy. The Word in this context is a person, the person of Jesus. So just keep that kind of in your head. Um, So in the beginning, let's do that. In the beginning. And... What's going on is we have a battle between the gods, those divine beings that God created, and some of them that rebelled. Remember those. So some of them are on the earth, and there are greater and lesser powerful ones that exist. Some of these are are demons. Some of them were responsible for whole nations. So there's a lot of that going on. But in Greek philosophy or Greek mythology, their, their idea of, of gods, the pantheon, and he's dealing with the Greek, he's, he's in Ephesus, so he's dealing with more of the Greek Roman mind than he is with Egyptian. So if we go back, you know, in the scriptures and other places, it's Egyptian or it's Mesopotamian, Babylonian. In this case, we're dealing with more of the Greek idea. So what is it with the Greeks? And this is from a movie because they make movies about this stuff. So Clash of the Titans Gives you a clue. The Titans existed before the Greek gods. The Titans are the parents of the Greek gods. So Zeus comes along under this, another in the family tree. Next line down. Huh. So if you're going to back up and you're talking to a Greek cl- uh, group of people who, who are, have this mindset, they know how this works, who the Titans are who the Greek gods are, or goddesses, they know who they are. That's how they operate. That's who they worship. That's how their holidays are set up. That's when you know you get a three-day. All of that stuff is built around their gods and goddesses, and the titans are the heads of all of that. So in the beginning matters. Who was in the beginning? Titans. Wait a minute. No, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning. We have a whole different story going on here. So, we're going to start that. We're looking at um, God and the gods. And we're going to see that as we go through the study on First John. We are dealing with some issues here. What we do want to accomplish is... Uh, uh, discovering fellowship with God the Father and Jesus. And that's we're going to find that in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. This is from the New Living Translation, but listen to this. We proclaim to you 
The one who existed from the beginning. Okay. The one who existed from the beginning, not the Titans. Whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. Eternal life, yeah, the life that never ends, the life that's always been, that's him. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. He was revealed to Abraham too, but not in the flesh in this way. And then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. It's about the fellowship. It's about a real relationship with the living God in truth, enjoying the the life that's made possible from the source of life itself, getting information on truth, and, and this is getting it through John, who's been trained by Jesus, who was on the earth, and he walked with him for three years, and then he rose from the dead, and he trained him another 40 days, and and he's come to visit. We know he did in Revelation 1, but he may have come back and visited. We don't know. We don't have any extra books that tell us, but he says... At least in his gospel, if I wrote down everything Jesus did, there's just not enough room on this planet. It's just too much. Wow. That's who we get to have fellowship with. We can actually have a connection with the living God. That portal is open. And he has invited us to come into real relationship with him, to communicate with him, to listen to him, to be changed by him, to... Discover the truth that only exists in and through him. And John is presenting those things in in his letters and his gospel and in the book of Revelation. He's presenting those things as Jesus has given him those truths and said, "Here, here are things people need. People need to think about these things. People need to uh, wrestle with these ideas. And they need to break away from the ways of, of the world, the way that um, the titans, the gods, have warped their minds because that's what the gods do. That's what they're out to do is disturb anybody who's trying to get a, have a real relationship with the living God. They don't want that. The most high God is the one they're trying to uh, tear down. And, and anything that he's made and loves, they definitely want to destroy. So... We are on a track to have a relationship with the real God, to have a real fellowship. Like Jesus said, you hear me knocking, open the door, I'll come in. We'll sit down and have a conversation. We'll talk about real life and real things. We'll talk about truth. Where do you get truth? And you're trying to figure out, okay, so what's after this life? What, what should I do next? How should I live in this world? How should I relate to other people? Well, you know, you you look in a magazine or look on the internet or you talk to your buddies and you go, that's the greatest source. And John's saying, "Ah, I got somebody better. How about him? The source of life. How about you come close and you fellowship with him? You you make make that the primary out of all of these other things. And and the tendency, even when going through the book of 1 John as... uh, taught almost anywhere it's really going to come down to you make a decision about jesus ask him in your heart then we rip away anything that looks slightly spiritual or supernatural and we make it about being a good boy good girl and and if you just do that now where do you get information about being good well you make it up on your own or somebody will tell you that, that this is how you fit into our group and if you do it this way, then that's good. Or, you know, you've got to wear your hair this way or wear clothes this way. And God in heaven's going, that's not it at all. 
That is not what I told you to do. It's about this relationship that is so highly developed and so vitally important that it goes far beyond that. This is about fellowship with the living God, the one who created all things. How about having a real relationship with him? How do we do that? And John helps us. So we pick that up with a little bit of, uh, let's see, maybe some light versus darkness. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. That's the message from Jesus. Does that matter? Well, sure. Yeah, we get it. You know, he's light. Moving on. Got anything good? Because, you know, yeah, he's light. Uh, The darkness is that thing that turns everyone's stomach. It's that injustice at work or in the family or being misunderstood being put down, being trafficked, being abused, being ripped off, being misled, being lied to, being being drugged down by false beliefs, being suckered into what the games the demons are playing. And people do it all the time. And you've been victim to it in your life. It's all around you. It's the thing we all cry out. When will they stop? When will they get it right? When will the government really come through? When will that judge call it right? When will the police do things better? When will the nations quit fighting? Darkness. And it's in us. Why do I get angry about those things? Why am I so uptight about things that really are not that valuable. Darkness. Well, the gods in Greece and Rome, Egypt or anywhere else you go with those guys, but these are the, these are the Greek gods, they were a mixed bag. Darkness existed in them. They would do some good things. Some of them would do some good things, and others would just be like mortals, like human beings. And they had a mixed uh, moral code. And it's usually just looking out for themselves. Who does that sound like? So when this statement is made, God is light and in him no darkness at all. At all. That's a powerful statement. That changes everything. Who can you trust? Well, I kind of trust that guy. You know, you vote for him, you send him up to Washington, you kind of trust that guy. Well, this is a guy you can trust because there's no darkness at all. And whatever he decides, wherever he takes us, whatever he's doing in the lives of people is to turn things around. He's doing a battle with things we can't see. So we don't know all the ins and outs at that level. But there's no darkness at all. It's light. That's what Jesus said. So, I don't know. He came to earth. He was born as a baby. John took care of his mother. He knew the story. Who else would know it better than John? Who took care of her? You think the gospel story in Luke's good. Can you imagine what John could have written? I think he took care of her until she died. The history that I've seen on that. That's pretty cool. What did she know about Jesus? That kid's unique. My firstborn was something. Tried to get the other ones to act like that. No luck there. Yeah. That's Jesus. Jesus said, the one who rose from the dead, the one who lived in heaven before he came, that God is light. And in him, no darkness at all. So is that a good statement to hear about? Yeah. Should we just kind of pause and listen to that for just a minute? Yeah. That's what Jesus said. So we're going to rejoice in that, 
And we're trying to get to fellowship. So we'll go evaluating the truth. This is in verse 6. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. We are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. So the idea is we're supposed to be practicing the truth. We're supposed to have this fellowship with God. We're supposed to be connecting with him who is light and in whom there is no darkness at all. We are supposed to be living differently. It ought to be um, observable in, in us and in our relationships, the things we say and do. If we go on living in spiritual darkness, not practicing the truth, and you go, okay, so spiritual darkness. That means I really don't break away from the gods of this world or the lusts of this world or the thinking of this world. What gets me anxious? What gets me angry? What what drives me? What gets me up in the morning? What disappoints me in life? What is it that's influencing me and the darkness is all around? The whole world is caught in the darkness and Jesus has come to bring light and to come to this relationship with God the Father, practice the truth, come into the light and it straightens up the thinking we begin to find other priorities. Other things become important. We, we begin to drive out the darkness because wherever the light is, the darkness has to leave. As we begin to do that, things change. The relationship changes. That's why he says practicing the truth. Like you practice basketball, football, whatever skills. you got to practice. Practicing the truth. What if, as followers of Jesus, we never take the time to dig into the scriptures, never take the time to take extended time with him to say, Jesus, come on in. Let's sit down at the table. Let's just, you and me, how about we spend some time? Don't want to study too much. Don't want to spend too much time wrestling with these concepts don't want to how do you practice the truth where do you get the truth to practice where do you get the light or do we just allow the darkness to control us and we go call it the light that's what he's saying there are people who are calling it one thing but they're doing something different so we are invited into this relationship to have a real fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ We're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. Fellowship with God's children, verse 7. But if we are living in the light, if we're living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So all of those things that can hold us down, the sin that can crush us, Jesus is going to take it, take it upon himself if we're living in the light. But we're living in the light as God is in the light because there's, there's this tendency in human beings, even among Christians, to decide, here's the list, and if you do these ten things, you are living in the light. If you, if you live a particular way, you do a certain thing, you read certain authors, you whatever it is that may be part of a particular group, that becomes the driving force for what it means to be in the light. I love that John added, as God is in the light. It takes it off, (laughs) and no group can name that one. This is God's way. He's saying, nope, this way. Don't confuse it with anything else. And if we do it, if we have fellowship with him, we can have fellowship with other believers. Those who are practicing truth, those who are walking in the light, the connection will be automatic. And it is amazing what can happen. People can spot each other across a crowded airport and know there's, a, there's another believer. There's somebody the Spirit of God is in because there's light. And it, it, it's just an amazing thing that can happen. 
It can also just be faked like that. Maybe, but maybe we're lying when we say we have fellowship. Verse 8, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Look at what these scriptures are doing. He's bringing this, he's just saying, he's calling us out. And he's saying, be real. You don't have to claim like you have, you're just perfect all, all of a sudden. You just, we need to just own this stuff. The truth is, we fail, we stumble, we have struggles, and we just need to own it. Does that mean we stop practicing truth, not walking in the light? Because, oh, I failed, so I guess I'll just give up and just keep on doing that. That's not at all. Practice the truth. Be honest with ourselves, humble enough to own this stuff. And besides, the people around us, we're not fooling them. That's why I put that fooling no one up there. We may not see it. We can look in the mirror and lie to ourselves, but other people, yeah, they see it. And they wonder how we can call ourselves real believers if we're not practicing the truth. So it's better we just get real with God and, and, and allow him to do something absolutely amazing. And that's what he's doing here in First John. So when he says in verse 9, this radical relationship part of this thing, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. He takes it, but we have to admit it. That's part of the, the steps that are involved here. We have to be so willing, so responsive to his truth, to his light, that we admit, no, I don't have to get, not that quick, oh, I, you know, I lied, I tripped up, I'd struggle, I, you know, and then we just go on doing whatever we're, we were doing in the first place. That's the lying to ourselves part. Now, this is this is admitting it, going, you know what? I I just I want to practice the truth. I want to walk in the light as God is in the light. And I really blew it. And you tell the Lord, you come to Him, you let Him know that I really blew it. I need to do something here. He hears us when we confess our sins to him. And he is the one who will forgive us those sins and cleanse us, which means when he does that, that he takes those things from our minds, from our bodies in such a way that we are free to live in the light and practice truth. He will lift those things from us. If we don't honestly and truly confess them, then they're just waiting sin crouching behind the door ready to take us down again but when we come to him and we own it we admit it we let him carry that because he took it to the cross he is faithful and he will forgive us and then he removes that junk and we have a chance to move forward there's also the possibility in verse 10 and this is the person who has no relationship with God If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our heart. You go, what? There are people who say, I've always been pretty good. I was was pretty good as a kid. My my mama always said I was. I was just a pretty good kid, and and I grew up to be a pretty good human being and, you know, really haven't blown it too bad. So I've never sinned. And there's your verse. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. What is it that we tell kids at VBS, Sunday school, those little kids? You know, build them up, build them up, give them snacks, have them do the little coloring pages. And then we say, you know, you can ask Jesus, what, into your, oh, heart. Ask Jesus into your heart. What does this say? Who is Jesus? 
showing that his word has no place in our hearts. He's not even there. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word, Jesus, has no place in our hearts. He asks us to walk in the light, to practice truth, to come close in fellowship. He has come from out there into our world because he wants a real relationship with you. And he wants people to hear that. He wants us to know that. It's not about, oh, you just need to be good. No. It's about being more than good. It's about being his friend. It's about being loyal to God. It's about defeating the enemy. And the more we practice truth, the more we walk in the light, the more we're pushing the enemy aside and we're tearing down those strongholds that the enemy has. He's in a battle, the God of heaven. He's invited us to be part of it, to participate and to make a difference. It's for our good. It's also about having this fellowship with him and in that fellowship, a real fellowship with other people that you don't even have to try to have. You ever just, oh, I need, you know, they say we're supposed to talk about spiritual stuff. Third Sunday around the table. Great. I got to think of something. You don't have to think of it. It just comes out. It oozes. Because Jesus, the word, is in your heart. And when he's in your heart, that's the light. The light's drawn to other light. More lights together, the darkness fades. Imagine the fellowship, the power of fellowship, all available to us through what Jesus has done in his presence that is available to us. There's a little bit of 1 John 1, fellowship with God. Entering into a close relationship with God the Father and the Lord Jesus. Later he gets into the Spirit, but at this point we've got the Father and the Son. Any questions, any thoughts, something you want to share? That's in him, yeah. 